what I learned in AA is tell them what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. Went in there and told them my story. And the Dean of St. Thomas just looked at me and said, oh, kid, that's a heck of a story. The doors of St. Thomas will always be open for you. Stories stir the soul. Stories reveal. And stories heal. In this podcast, we will give you an inside look at someone who's had a life-changing breakthrough. Real people, real stories with real breakthroughs. As a health and wellness expert and coach and Todd as a men's mentor. We've seen firsthand what God can do when it comes to a breakthrough. So lean in, listen well. This could be your biggest breakthrough. Hello and welcome to this episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough. I'm Wendy Pett. I'm Todd Isburner. Yes, and this part, uh, this podcast is part of the Spark Media Network, and it can be found on the Edify app, Pray.com, and KHCB Uplifted Streaming, and more. So we are glad you have tuned in with us today. So I am really, really um, uh, thankful that I get to go to Starbucks uh, to sort of use that as my office. I'm not excited about it, but that's <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? his addiction to Starbucks? No, 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 oh, no, no. Okay. It's a kind of my office away from home. <laughs> but I, the, so just a short time ago, like uh-huh. within a couple of weeks ago, uh, I'm over at Starbucks and I'm ordering my, my thing. And, um, <laughs> and this guy goes, Hey, are you Todd? And I said, yeah. I said, I'm Matt. Oh, well, Hey Matt, how you doing? Doing good. So we're meeting now. Right. And I'm looking at him like, okay, I'm in trouble. I, I lost something in the shuffle here. Uh, tell me again, who are you? Yeah, Matt, we're going to get together today. We're going to meet. And I said, oh, yeah, Jason connected us. And I'm thinking, Jason, Jason. Yeah, I know Jason. Oh, man. So I'm <laughs> apologizing to Matt because I said, I, you know, I just didn't have it on my calendar. I don't know what happened, man. Forgive me. Maybe it's my age. But I'm, I'm really apologize. So we get talking a little further only to discover Wait a second. I'm not the Todd you're supposed to meet. There's another Todd because <laughs> he got a text from another Todd at a different Starbucks. Yes. So it, make a long story short, we interacted for just a short while. And I was so fascinated by, first of all, the way that God introduced us and then by his story. Mm. And that's why we are excited to introduce to you our our new friend and our guest on today's episode. Yes. And when you told me that story, when you yeah. came home, I was laughing so hard. I was crying because I thought you just can't make that stuff up. No, I mean, that's a divine. <laughs> and I'm just, yeah, it is a divine appointment, but I was just imagining you like frantically, like, oh my goodness, it's not on my calendar. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to fake my way through it. Like, <laughs> hey, man, yeah, you're right. We're supposed to meet. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it is a divine appointment and I'm glad that you did fake your way through it so that we could have Matt on today because Um, Matt Kira, he went from jails, institutions, and homelessness to 14 years of sobriety and is now living a flourishing life. He lost his way in life from the age of 13 to 26, living a life of terror fueled by alcohol and drug addiction. But on December 21st, 2007, his life was redirected by the grace of God. What he viewed as a bottom was the first step in his journey to a happy destiny. Mm, I love that part of it too. You know, first step in the journey to happy destiny. Uh, in this episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough, Matt is going to share with you his story of transformation and how God's, uh, with God's help, he was able to really experience a breakthrough and many breakthroughs since then. He's able to have uh, sort of permanent freedom now, not only from drug and alcohol, but other kinds of things that can get in God's way. And but Matt believes that no matter what the addiction, by the grace of God, and a determination to get help and support, you can be free and you can live the life 
that God has planned for you. And Matt is living proof of that. Amen. Cannot wait to hear his story. Welcome to your biggest breakthrough, Matt. So happy to yeah, have Matt you. Korea, come on Korea. in. Huh? Hey. Hi there. <laughs> what a nice yeah. to meet you. What a funny story at Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, you left out, Todd, that you owe me a cup of coffee because I oh, also bought oh. you a cup too. <laughs> That's right. We took that pretty far. It was funny. I I got a cup. What do you drink? You're not the Todd. And then I was looking at the phone getting a text from the Todd I was supposed to meet who was yeah. at the Starbucks across the parking lot. Yeah. You're That's... at the wrong Starbucks. I was like, so you're not the Todd. Right. But I want the Thanks. coffee. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah right. uh, that was so, and it became so apparent in such a short time, we started talking and you're sharing your story. I'm going, oh my goodness, you've got to come talk to our listeners and just share what God has done in your life. Cause it is a phenomenal story. Yeah. And yeah. Thanks so, for the opportunity to share my experience, strength and hope. I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 And, and when Tide gave me a little glimpse of your story, I said, yes, we definitely need to have him on. And, you know, you've, you've gone through a lot from the age of 13 to 26 yeah. and, and most um, from the research I've done, most um, addicts have started uh, whether it's drinking or drugs, 90% of them start before the age of 18 and you were 13. Um, and so let's kind of talk about the beginnings of, of maybe your childhood and then just kind of what led to um, you reaching for the bottle or for drugs. Um, so, you know, I being an uh, active in recovery and um, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I go to probably about two meetings a week and then do service work. And, and I guess as, as we say, when asked to serve, we serve. I, all the stuff that you ask is always fresh in my mind. And I remember when I grew up in a working class family and at the age of 12, there was this drive-by shooting in our neighborhood in West St. Paul. And uh, this is really cool how this comes back in full circle in my life. But there was a drive-by shooting and my parents were worried that uh, the neighborhood was going to you know, go the wrong direction and and then also about my welfare, because I was the youngest of four, and I was um, up to that point leaving, living a really you know, normal life. So they decided to sell the house. Now, this drive-by shooting was at my friend's house, two doors down. And his stepdad um, you know, was known to, 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 to deal drugs and kind of have some unsavory behavior, if you will. Um, I knew him. I knew his stepdad. I always thought his stepdad was a nice guy. who was always really cool with us. But, um, you know, I guess he just had some bad behaviors, right? So my parents sold the house, and we moved up to this city called Lindstrom. And it, the idea was to move up to this quiet, pleasant place, safe from, um, you know, bad influences. And that um, kind of went, went the wrong direction because then when I, we moved up north, we moved next door to a home, and uh, the neighbor boys were the same age as me, but they were already um, experimenting and using, you know, like uh, uh, marijuana and drinking alcohol. And um, that was, we moved right next door to it, what we wanted to move away from. I don't want to, uh, you know, and, and I, I knew the families and there was also a lot of good in the families too. Um, I liked them. They got me played hockey and um, it's just, it's the drugs and alcohol is just what kids did up there. So um, I, you know, also want to put, you know, highlight the good stuff too, that was with them. Right. But for me, uh, I believe I was an alcoholic and an addict as soon as I, I put the stuff in my body mm. because right when I used alcohol, it was off to the races. And I, I, I was like, wow, what's this stuff? I love it. I can feel free. And, um, it just, it went from zero to 60, 
you know, in two seconds, I was getting into trouble uh, right away, consequences right away. I was using hard drugs right away, LSD, that kind of stuff. Um, and funny, my mom, she worked at the sheriff's office in Chisago County. And wow. I saw her um, on a wreck, you know, more than I'd, I, I like to, uh, I, you know, than I could count at work. And, you know, my mom, God bless her. She, uh, <laughs> I, call her I call her deputy no badge because yeah. she was the sheriff's secretary, right? But she thought she was, you know, like a legit law enforcement. She's like, oh, well, they gave me a badge number, she would always say, which technically they did, but it didn't mean that she could enforce the law. But as her mom, she sure could. Oh, that's good leverage, though. <laughs> she that's did. Good leverage. Quick story. So one time we're after school, we're, you know, we're smoking marijuana. And I was like, okay, guys, you got to leave before my mom gets home. And they left and they're driving up the road. And then my mom in the Ford Windstar was driving that direction. And then she did a roadblock and was stopped them dead in the tracks. And Go, mom. Guys, never come back here again. Wow. So I she like meant her. it. She meant <laughs> yeah, it. Um, that's good. But, you know, so I guess... It was, you know, at the age of 13, it was, it was consequences right, right away. I mean, I was breaking the law, um, at a, at a pretty aggressive level and I was going into juvies and doing time. And Hey, Matt, let me just stop you for just a second. Cause I'm, cause my mind keeps thinking back to your, so your parents really sold that house in what was West St. Paul, uh, in order to kind of protect you and, and the kids get you guys away from that environment. And then you're actually in an environment in a small town that would be least expected to invite you into that kind of a life that how in the world, I mean, when did they discover that? What was their reaction mm -hmm. to that? It's like, Oh my gosh, we, there, we moved and everything and it's not better. It's actually worse. Pretty, pretty quick. It was, I tried to hang on and find the jocks and hang out with kids that I wanted to, that I was familiar with. And then, but the peer pressure, I mean, it was, just, and I lived right next door to it. It gave in. And there's also a, like a lure to it too, right? Of hanging out with the cool kids. And what about your siblings, Matt? Did, were they involved with alcohol or drugs? I mean, my normal, normal stuff, never um, to the degree that was ever considered a problem. And mm -hmm. uh, they looked at me as the black sheep, definitely. And rightfully so. Mm -hmm. what, what birth order are you? I'm the youngest He's of four. Youngest. You're the youngest. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and also, I mean, just to kind of, for more context, like even to this day, like I can't, I can't bring it up. So like, to me, I'm recovered. We made it out and we, in the fellowship of AA, we kind of talk about how silly things were, how dumb we were and laugh about it in a, like a dark sense of humor. But I can't do that with my parents. My mom and she, I mean, my mom and dad are alive and well, and they're happy. And uh, they are so proud of me today, right? Mm. And they're my best friends. That's so good. But they, well, I can't bring it up to my mom. It's her, it still is just trauma, you know? So that's, that was the degree. I don't like when I, I want to talk more about the solution and the glory than I want to go into that stuff. I mean, it, it's, but it was definitely aggressive. And it does create a ripple effect of hurt. Oh, the people that I affected. I mean, right? So um, it, it started at 13 and then we, when I was like 16 or so, okay, we're going to sell the house, go back to the cities mm -hmm. and where Matt picked up where he left off was the, was the hope. And we did that. And I was hanging out with my friends that I grew up with, but they even said like, Matt, like we like to have fun too, but you just don't know when to stop, you know? And yeah. I ended up, you know, just not really hanging out with them because they were focused on graduating school and going to college and moving on with life. Like it was a phase, right. Of just partying. Um, and not me, I was a full blown alcoholic and drug addict. Did yeah. you know it? 
right when I started drinking, my mom, like I said, deputy no badge would bring me to jail and like fake arrest me. And then it would be like, Hey, we got to fix Matt, take him to treatment. So I, as the age of 13, I've been in inpatient treatments and really depressed and psych wards. And, you know, and even, even the really strong emotional like stuff where you're contemplating, you know, like, you know, extreme measures to end the problem and, sure. you know, and stuff like that. So they would, you know, get, try to get me all the help that a mom and dad could. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, it was always presented like, Matt, you're an alcoholic. You can't drink or you're also, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll do drugs and you won't stop and you'll destroy your life. Right. Cause some people are just, are just genetically predispositioned predis- uh, to, to become an addict over others. Um, and so you may just be wired in such a way. I, I would agree with, like I said, when I first took the first sip, it was, it was pure. Like, where has this been all my life? Yeah. Right. And when I drink, I, I don't stop. It just creates a phenomenon of craving and it is go until it, the money is gone or I, you know, until it's until whenever that end point is. Yeah. Right. There's no stop. Yeah. Well, there's, there's so many uh, people that are probably listening that have been touched by addiction or have overcome or dealing with addiction right now, currently in their own life. And so I know what you're going to share for the solutions and the, and the hope uh, in your breakthrough will really be such a blessing. But as you move through the, you know, the, the years of addiction and you finally have this moment, uh, at, at 26, this kind of breakthrough time, let's kind of go into the, the spin of this, the breakthrough time so that, um, it'll offer someone hope in their, in their story. Yeah. What were the circumstances leading up to that? I've tried everything from geographic changes to, I mean, everything you could do to try to fix it. And I mean, working out, read, don't kill yourself books. I mean, everything that you could do, right? Left to my own devices. And I've been, it's, it's, addiction has taken me to the streets of San Francisco, sleeping in stairwells and smoking uh, methamphetamines. And I mean, it was, it was like, I, people would say, Matt, like, I think you are like a throwaway case. Mm. Like you are so far gone. Cause I'm telling you stuff right now. And it just, it's not registering, right? Like, And it was, and I went out to San Francisco once or I went out to California twice, but the reason was, was to get away from people because I had this real strange talking about divine appointment with you, Todd, but I had like a divine appointment with, um, the dental office that I would go to since I was a kid, this, uh, uh, office manager knew me, knew my story because I've been there since I was a kid and my sister worked at the dental office and I was hung over and I was sitting on the steps hoping to maybe catch my sister and maybe get some resources. I, I, I remember, but I remember the conversation real vividly. He didn't even, he knew where I was at. He knew what was going on. And he just said to me, didn't even say, hi, how you doing? He just said, if you're going to have a relationship with the bottle, get as effing far away from people as you can. Hmm. But if you're not, and you can have a relationship with people, meaning like Matt, you destroy the wake that you leave behind destroys everything and leaves nothing behind but misery and, and heartache. Mm. And it was just like that hit me. And, and there was one time when, you know, I made that decision to get as far away from home as possible. Also running from the law and warrants for my arrest. Cause I don't like, you know, I didn't want to do the time that I had to do. And, but what ended up happening was there was multiple attempts at like DUI. I had three DUIs before I was 21. I even had my 21st birthday in treatment. Um, but like I had so many consequences leading up to it. So every time a consequence would happen, it was like, okay, get your life together. But it just, the message wasn't received. It wasn't, I wasn't ready for it. 
And I, and, and I believe I tried, like, I was like, okay, I messed up. I want to do good, but it was addiction. And my will was still so strong that it just wasn't having this God thing. I, I came home from California and was supposed to be like, I only to see my parents for a week and then go back. But I got there and I pleaded my case to my, my dad. And I said, dad, I said, I don't got nothing back there. I really want to try to get this together. I really want to try to fix my life. Please. Can I stay here and one more try? And he says, okay, we'll give you one more try. What I, I, I like the fact that that happened because it allowed me to try like my best on my own devices, my own will, or as we say a self-will run riot to fix my life. And it lasted about a year. And it was this like pattern of every three months, I would be so jammed up and jelly tight in my head that the only solution or the answer was this thought to go have a beer. And it was an honest thought, like just go have a beer. Not like, hey, let's go do a bunch of drugs and spend all your money. And then three days later, you know, everything is burned to the ground. That wasn't the thought. It was just, hey, let's just come a beer at the guys. And it was this three-month cycle of that. And I had so many close calls, you guys. I remember one time I, I had a couple of drinks at a, on a date. And I was driving home, got pulled over. And I had what's called a B card. That's a license that says this person cannot consume alcohol or else it invalidates his license. And I got pulled over and I was like, oh no. And I had open beers in my car and even pot. And I was just like, wow. why is that in there? Like, oh my God. You know, and he pulls me over. And then he says, looks at my life. He goes, Matt, are you supposed to drink? Or have you been drinking? I go, yeah, I had a couple. And he goes, and why is that a problem? And, uh, and I said to the officer, I said, because I have a B card. And then he gets a call on his radio and he's like, and he, you know, talk, says their mumbo jumbo back and in, and then he says, he says, you're lucky. Go straight home and don't go out the rest of the night. And he's walking away. And then he looks back at me and he says, your life just flashed before your, your eyes, didn't it? And I'm like, yes, it did. But even with those close calls, it like point. it wasn't enough to wake me up. Mm. I mean, you guys, that's a, on a scale of one to 10, that's about a three on the wake up calls. And, I, and we don't have time to go into them. No. But I have... I have been to, you know, through some really extreme running from LA County cop canine units out in the hills of California for three days. I mean, I have gone so far out there, right? So Matt, what, what was it that kept driving you with all of these, you know, sort of opportunities to quit based on, you know, hitting the wall, you just bounce off and you'd clean up for a little bit. So what kept driving you to not make the change? That will, that will. And we, you know, alcohol, call it the disease. Christians call it the devil. I mean, it was just so strong. It was just like, I did not want to be a bad person. I didn't right. like when I would get in trouble, I'd be like, Oh my God, like this is really bad. And I feel terrible. Right. But it was you like know, this real quick. I was, I was going to say, I, I would imagine that most people don't want to be quote unquote bad people. They're not out to be bad people, right? I agree. A lot of of people that are addicts and and you know out on the streets may have maybe feeling or have felt just like you. Like I do want out. I just don't know how. I got a, a cousin, uh, and her son is addicted to fentanyl in similar mm. circumstances to me, and he just got out, and he's right back at had a chance to go to treatment. And he was like, I'm going to treatment and I'm ready for it. And then as soon as he gets freedom, gone. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think it was something you said, Matt, uh, I think is, is pretty, um, pretty apparent for a lot of people, regardless of the addiction. And that is, uh, you know, I think I got this under control. 
Because what you would I do, got it. yeah, what you would do is you'd say, you know, I'm just going to go have a beer. I'm going to have a couple of beers with the guys. It's not going to do me in. So don't you think a part of the problem is just the mindset that tells the person addicted that, yeah, I can handle this. It'll be okay. And, and not just alcohol or drugs, but anything, yeah. whether it's video games or, you know, gambling, whatever. Right. Well, and, it's in, and then the addiction model or space, like you see the 12 steps is, is presented in a lot of different, you know, formats addressing certain addictions. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's all about getting a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at the problem or your life and handling your day to day, right. A new operating system, if you will. Yeah. And getting that dopamine serotonin hit in a healthy way. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's funny because I've been just realizing something about myself and how I, I want that dopamine hit so often. Maybe that's why I was such a strong addict because even to this day, I wake up and I want to hit a grand slam every day. So the, there you are, though. You're, you know, you're you're starting and then you're going backwards and then you're hitting the wall, then you're restarting again. And you went through that for years. And I, I mean, so- like crazy ways in which you hit the wall and it still didn't change anything. So Take us forward. What happened when it finally Fine started? intervention. That's the only, you know, at the time on, I didn't believe man. in God. I didn't. I was so done with it. And, but I, t- I just said at the time until I became to believe and I was like, and have my own understanding, I was just thought it was a perfect storm because everything happened in such a catastrophic way that it, it, it opened me up. It gave me an open mind to think differently and to, to try something different. But at the same time, dismantling and my like ways to live life for my faculties, for my will to latch onto and try to take control of the life again. I mean, no license for three and a half years, no job, no good job. I mean, it just, my life was completely ground zero. And what it was, my fourth DUI on this, it was December 21st, 2000, December 20th, 2007. I was going to go back to California for my third time because that's where I was going to, that's where my, my Graceland was, where I could have a good life. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't where I, it was where I lived in the people, right? It, it wasn't me. If I were to find somewhere new and different and start over fresh, like then that was my answer. Even though the last two times out in California didn't yield those results. But at any rate, I went out and I was going to go back out to California. So I thought I'm going to go out one more time. I'm just going to party one more time here. And then I'm going to move to California and this is all going to be my rearview mirror. And this was after like when I, my parents let me in and let me try that, you know, one more time living at home to get my life together. This was at the end of that. And that's why I like that so much because I could see how hard I can try and that I cannot do this on my own. Mm. So I went out and I went out drinking. And I, then when I got home, as I normally do, I want to do drugs. (laughs) Got dropped off and I got my own car. And I went to my drug dealer's house, who I want to talk to you about because he wants to do this podcast too. He's living a wonderful life now too. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And his story. We haven't had a dealer on, so I welcome that. I went out there, I was driving and, you know, and in this, I I was, uh, I blacked out behind the wheel of the car and I woke up and the car was totaled and I was in the ditch and it was the winter. Right. And I was like, oh no, like, oh my God. And then I got out and I was still running down the street in the middle, like Rosemount, right. And it's like kind of farmland. It's two in the morning and I'm trying to still get to my drug dealer's house. Right. You know, cause I wanted to get away from that car and not be associated with it. Right. But I ended up, I was flagging down cars to try to get someone to stop and pick me up. And I did, someone did stop, but it wasn't, wasn't who I wanted it to be. 
who's a state trooper. And oh, yeah. Like stop. And they're, they're stopping. And I was like, Oh good. And then I saw the bumper and then the car. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> he gets out and he just opens up the back door and goes, let's go to jail. Shall we? And I'm like, yep. All right, let's go. Oh, they wow. put up a fight, just got in and went, but that's, yeah. that's where it started. Okay. Cause I go to jail and my, my will, my, my thoughts are still trying to, how do I get out of this? How do I, I'll get, I'll get released. They'll release me because I'm a good guy. They'll give me, you know, and I'll get out and then I'll get a job and I'll work. I'll get a lawyer and I'll still get out of this. I'll still get out of this. I can, that was my thoughts and my will still wanting to hold on my addiction, still wanting to hold on. And I go to court and I go to court in shackles. Right. And my parents are behind the plexiglass and I had to sit over in, in jail on 24 hour lockdown until over the holidays over Christmas until court came back and I get into court. And my parents were behind the plexiglass and the devastated look on my mom and dad's face. And the judge just says, the, the prosecutor's like, this is a menace to society. He has to do three years in prison, like no bail. And they said, we got to give him bail. And he's, they gave me like $80,000 bail, which was pretty high for, well, I mean, I shouldn't say for me, I was terrible. So yeah, I deserve what I got. But it, it was like, okay, I'm not getting out. I am not going home because no, there were no more lifeguards. Mom and dad were like, nope, we are not getting you a lawyer. We are not doing any of these things. And I remember the story. This is pretty cool because she called a friend of mine who was like a re- in recovery with me, you know, wonderful person, double digit sobriety. We're, we were from the same neighborhood, but never knew each other, but our moms knew each other. That's how I knew him. But she called him because he was sober and said, Rob, Matt got his fourth DUI. Is it bad? And he's like, yeah, it's bad. She's like, I don't know if I want to, should I get an attorney for him or should I not? He, Rob didn't say don't get an attorney, but he said he didn't say get one. Like as a recovery guy, knowing the accountability that you have to take and the medicine you have to take to get better, he knew that a lawyer would just keep me sick because resources would just keep that addict alive. My mom did not get a lawyer. They let me sit in jail and Tough roll love. the dice. Yep. Yeah. And I remember when I got into the unit of general population and I picked up the phone to finally call my mom and call my parents because up until then the phone, I just couldn't get a hold of anybody. And my mom, I called my mom and I'm, I'm hoping for that lifeline. My mom's going to say, Matt, we're going to get you out of this or something. And she said, Matt, this is right where God wants you to be. Mm. And yeah, that's not my, I didn't have that reaction. You guys just had, I had yeah. F God and his F and a, and I took that phone and I slammed it down on the receiver as hard as I could. Cause I was so spiritually bankrupt. I was so sick of hearing God loves me and God has a plan and he always, and I was done with it. And the whole unit just looked at me like that guy's having a bad day. And I sat in that jail for uh, uh, months until I finally went to court. Ooh, it was close. They wanted me to do three years, but I got judicial leniency. And I'll tell you this too. I was being interviewed by county officials and whatever. And I was straight up honest with them. That's one thing that that devastating blow of being back in jail on the fourth felony DUI that I was like, I just need to be honest and give up. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Like no one's, there's no more lifeguards. Mom and dad are done. Like this is, you're done, dude. After 13 years of debauchery, it was just like, wave the white flag. You know, it wasn't AA and God and sobriety. None of that. It was just like, I'm tired. Surrender. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. They found out, they said they made a decision to give me judicial leniency and say, give him a six month sentence, seven years probation and all these other house arrests every year for a month. And for seven years, I mean, it was a long list and rightfully so. And they, 
and ended up giving it to the prosecutor. That's just, it was so severe. I'm being this detailed about it because it's so vivid in my memory that I'm so scared that I never want to put myself in a situation again. I was looking at three years in the penitentiary. There's nothing good that happens inside those walls. Nothing. I was like, oh, no, I'm looking at my public defender saying you should do something. Can you say something? And they were just twiddling their thumbs, you know, like, and I was like, I don't ever want to be this vulnerable again in my life. And the prosecutor was like, no, your honor, we don't through the book, the law book and said, we don't have to see this right here. Read that. We don't have to give him another plea. And it was like, he wanted me to go in. But the judge Simonette, who I've contacted uh, throughout my sobriety to let her know how well I'm doing. And I said, they said, we're going to give Matt one more try. So they gave me a six-month sentence. I got out in four. I got into this treatment center, 2525 Park Avenue, uh, you know, in South Minneapolis. And then after treatment, um, I had to get into like a sober house kind of a situation. And then that went, uh, you know, kind of sideways. And so I was like, wait a minute. I was going to AA meetings. And I was like, wait a minute. I, this is not healthy for me. I, gotta, I went back to my parents' house and I said, hey, this is a situation. Can I stay here for a week? to find a place, you know, to call, you know, and they said, okay, but you're going on a contract. We wrote a contract. I have it to this day. Mm. It's such a beautiful document, an artifact of my history of my life. And it says, I will only call these people. I will only do these activities. If Matt does anything else, he will, you will contact probation officer and we will violate Matt and send him to prison. And I, I knew have- my I first of all, I just have to say, go mom and dad, because the courage that it took to not get you an attorney back then and to allow you back in with a contract. I mean, they were they they wanted they didn't want to enable you either. They were sick and tired, just like you were sick and tired. But on and, the other side. And so I just think this is such a, a great story. But keep going. Oh, and, and, and look, and this isn't well, mom and dad and that like they were just being a mom and dad on paper. They meant it. Because oh, yeah. and I knew they meant it because there was a time when I was homeless sleeping at the Dorothy Day Center in downtown Minneapolis. I went home because I wanted some food. And no one answered the door. And I was like, that's weird. Like the cars are here. No one's answering. But then a Mendota Heights police officer, Officer Bobby Lambert, pulled up and said, Are you Matt Korea? And I said, Yeah. And he says, I'm sorry, but your family doesn't want you around anymore. And and that was such a gut punch, right? And I felt and it was like so, but like I say, that perfect storm. Like that was another thing that with that contract that enforced it. Cause in my mind, I had that memory of no more messing around. Cause they're not messing around, you know, like, so it kept me on that path. And so that's what I did. I found this meeting or I found Rob, my buddy that I told you about with my mom called, she says, you know, Rob goes to the men's meeting. You should go. And I just, it was sound like when she would say anything, AA, I felt like a vampire getting sunlight. Like it was just, oh, don't talk about it. I know I got to go. Yeah, but like I called them and help Rob DUI blah blah blah. Can you come pick me up? Kind of this feeling sorry for myself attitude, and he did. And we went over to this guy John, uh, who lived in in our area, to go to the meeting. He was going to drive us all out to this men's meeting. And I'm driving out there, and John gives me. He says, "So what do you want to do for work?" I said, "I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to shovel manure all day. I don't care. I need a job." So okay, you can come up with me to Balsam Lake. He was a stonemason and a very talented one. Did my my fireplace behind me. Mm. And he said, he goes, so we go up there and we were working with them. And then on the way home after the third day at work, he's like, so what's your story? And I said, he said, I, well, I grew up in West St. Paul. There's this drive-by shooting. Told him the story I shared with you. He just, John just was driving and just got shook. He looks at me and goes, kid, 
I was in the basement of that house and that drive-by shooting happened. Oh, no way. Yeah, he was part of it. I just got chills up and down my arm. That's amazing. He was, there was a fight, a brawl broke out in a bar and a big fight. And there were drug dealers that were, you know, and then to retaliate, they came by and did a drive-by shooting. Oh my word. Yeah. That's a divine appointment right there. Yeah. So again, the perfect storm really was divine intervention, right? Like, Mm. All these things. And then I get to this Friday night meeting and it's full of men. And I've men specifically because I want nothing, but I'm all business, right? Like that's why we do that, right? I don't do mixed meetings. Mixed meetings are fine. I'm not saying that, but for it was a men's meeting. To this day, I only do men's meetings because I go there and it's all about fellowships, all about solution. And that's that's why I do that. And but went there, and this was so different than all the other meetings that I've been to. For the first time in years, I looked at a meeting full of guys and I was like, I want what they have. Mm. I was like, I don't even like what they, they were married. They had lives. Everyone was happy. They were genuinely laughing. And I was like, what is it was like outlaws from heaven. It was amazing. Everybody had amazing stories. And, was and then you found out life. the secret was Jesus. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> well, wait a I, minute. I tell you, I went uh, our treatment center. I went to was Teen Challenge. I was in there for, oh. for four months. I've made my rounds in the twin cities for sure. Um, And, uh, but so I I started going to this meeting and they just kept, I got a sponsor and I just kept one thing after another, you know, like you do this, do this. I took all the suggestions and I did all the work, read the book, did the steps and, you know, I was doing, and then, like I said, I lost my license for three and a half years. And what that did was that allowed me to just focus on recovery. My life was that big. And all they did was go to the meeting, rinse, recycle, repeat. John, my friend that was a stonemason, said, Matt, I think you're a hell of a kid. I'm going to give you a job. I'll pick you up every day. You got to be at the end of your driveway waiting for me, and I'll pay you 20 bucks an hour to 10 for me. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, there's got to be, you know, that's what what also opened my mind up to God was like, there's got to be something out there in this universe that orchestrates all this, that has me that wants me to be happy and to be healthy and do well. Got a purpose And, and a plan. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I was doing that and I was, it was a year and a half. It was June, uh, 2009 or no, it was, it was, yeah, June, 2000, June 21st, 2009. I was a year and a half sober. And that's when I knew I changed as a human being. Mm. I was sitting at home on a Saturday night and I was like, this is weird. I was like, I'm at home. It's Saturday. I'm completely content. And before my parents had to chain me down to the couch to keep me and I'd still get out. Right. But like, I was like, I'm okay just hanging out on a Saturday night doing nothing. And then I was like, it was like something was in the air. And I go out to the, the porch or the deck where my parents are. They're looking at pictures. And I just like, I'm supposed to sit down here. So I sat down and they're sent, they're looking at pictures and then hand to each other and hand me a picture. And I look at it and it was like a picture of me as a little boy. And I just saw I was having, it was like, and it was the beginning of this spiritual experience that I realized like I was like whoa I have changed I had a psychic change in my personality I was back to like my innocence I was back to that person that I was God intended me to be that he created because I saw this picture of this little boy and I was like oh my god I was like I was really innocent like look at that I didn't you know and then I saw me get older because they kept handing me pictures and it was me getting older and then it was me turning into this monster and I couldn't even tolerate it in my stomach. I felt so remorseful. And then she handed me a picture of one of her cars that I totaled. And I won't get into that story, but I mean, 
within 20 minutes told my mom's brand new car. And I mean, I was just a tornado, you know, and I saw that picture and I felt like such a piece of crap. And I felt so miserable for the man that I was. I wasn't a man. I was for that person that I was. And I just started weeping, you know, and I was just mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I just, I felt so much remorse. My parents embraced me, but then I was like, that's when I knew that I'm no longer that person. And the obsession to drink mm-hmm. alcohol and to use drugs, gone, gone. Mm-hmm. gone. You, know, you know, Matt, I think, uh, I, I think that is the key for everyone. No matter who you are, or what you've been through, no matter if it's been as severe as Matt's story or not even nearly close to that, none of that really matters. What matters is there's a point in time where we have to acknowledge the reality of who we are, the tendency to do things that are not lining up with what God wants. And rather than just go through the rest of life making excuses or experiencing shame and guilt, you came to a place where we all need to come to, and that is... God, you're really there. And even though I don't deserve it, you love me. You've got the grace and the power to change me. And from that point on, your life really started to kind of go snowball into a real positive direction where all those years, all that bad stuff happening. Now you hit that crucial point and it begins this snowball effect of really good things because you're a very successful person right today. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you're very accomplished and your, your perspective is incredible. So it, it didn't happen overnight. I realized that, but give our listeners some encouragement about that. The starting point is to surrender and to receive what God has for you and then let him lead you. Yeah. So here's, and this is what I like to, this is for me, you know, one thing I know it's like in my life, the way that it goes for me is that it will be one extreme bad, right? For addiction, right? But God will take it to the absolute polar opposite mm. and blow my mind. And, and it's a, and I can see it throughout my fi- almost 15 years of sobriety. Like I go through something that's really challenging. And then when I get through it and I develop something inside of me that I'm supposed to develop as, as you know, why I'm going through suffering, right? That's why we suffer so we can get close to God. And then I get on the other end of it and I'm like, holy cow. So here's the situation. I um, realized that I was happy, joyous, and free without drink. I didn't have a driver's license. I, I, didn't, I was laboring for a mason. I living at my parents. I did not have it going on. But I, what I had going on was a solution. And I was, I was doing the deal. And I remember I was like, I'm happy like just doing this. Like I, I didn't, the ambitions to have achieved business heights or to get a, a, a world-class education. Like that wasn't in my mind. It was just, I'm p- happy and peaceful and I'm good. Like I found a solution. I love my, love my friends. Even to this day, love my friend network. Wonderful people. <laughs> You've experienced, you experienced freedom when you finally surrendered that control. Mm-hmm. And then, but then, <laughs> then God, God had, had, you know, had, had a different plan for me because it was, Working for John in the 2008 financial crisis hit and no more construction was happening. Now selling appliances down at Sears on Rice Street, straight commission. So if I didn't sell nothing, I had to pay to be there because you take a draw. So then when you do sell something, you got to pay it back. Again, one extreme to the next. And here's the next. I'm sitting there and I'm looking out the parking lot in the middle of winter. And I'm like, well, this, this thought came into my mind. This, and it was so distinct when you know something like you're, it's not of your own like and it was, this is your life without education. And I just thought to myself, 
I'm going to go down to St. Paul College tomorrow, and I'm just going to start taking classes. Because I would practice what I learned in AA. And AA says we're just honest and thorough from the very start. We're responsible for the effort, and God's the outcome. That's it. So I was like, I'm just going to put an effort, go there, stand there, and say, I want to go here. Tell me what to do. Literally, that like blunt in like this brute force attack of just like, I want to go here. I don't know where to point me in the right direction. And that's what they did. They said, go take the acuplacer test upstairs, and I'll tell you where you are if you're proficient for college courses. I was in special ed courses in high school. I was a high school dropout, and I was able to at least get my GED. But I go to the school, and I had to take a year of remedial algebra before I take college courses, and then a, a semester of writing. I did those things because I had nothing going on in my life for years to come till I got my license back. What a wonderful responsibility or privilege driving is because we don't have it. Your life is limited. But I had two more years before that was going to happen. So I was like, I'm just going to go all in with school. And I did that. I messed up every record in my life, but because it's been so long since high school, colleges didn't care about what I, my high school transcripts. So I had this clean slate and I started taking classes. And I was just remembering AA saying, we're honest and thorough from the very start. And I just kept put, putting the pencil to paper and doing my practicing and doing my homework and just kept that mantra in my head. Practice these principles in all our affairs is what we say and how it works of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what I did. And one There's thing led to another. A semester came by and I got, I got a 3.7 GPA. Wow. And I said, oh, I can do this. Even though voices in my head were saying, Matt, who do you think you are? What are you doing going to school? You're not school. You're a construction guy. You, who are you kidding? And it was like, I just kept, nope, this, this is the focus of going this direction. Then I said to myself, something's got to give or something matters where you go to school. Like anyone can be successful with whatever they do, but this thought just kind of like something, there's got to be something to where you graduate from and what you study. And being first generation in my family to go to a university, right? Like it was kind of my blue collar family, my, you know, trade school, my sister, hygienist. I mean, that's, you know, that was tech school is more of our, our DNA. And I, I mean, I was asking everybody, random strangers on the street, hey, did you go to college? Where did you go? What'd you study? Get this. Go on, go on a lunch uh, meeting with a friend, Pat, from my meeting. Pat's much older than me. He just recently passed away this last year. God bless him. And we just randomly connected. And he said, let's go to lunch. And Pat's such a different personality than me. So, but I was like, hey, let's just, yep, go do some, keep an open mind, go out, hang out, maybe through conversation, maybe I can be of service to him. We're driving home after lunch and he just reaches over and turns down the radio and he says, and I didn't tell him I was in college and this is what I was doing and what I was contemplating. He just, because he, he's a CPA and he has his own business practice, he goes, you're going to go to business school. If you can swing it, go to St. Thomas or go to Carlson School of Management. You do those? He says, those are the people I've seen be successful over the years. And I was just like, is he in my head? Like, <laughs> so then I focused on that. I went to these schools and I just said, what do I got to do to get here? Again, that effort, being responsible for just the effort. What do I got to do to go here? They gave me the list and I went all in. I was student stage manager of the college theatrical production at St. Paul Community College. I was on Phi Theta Kappa Honor Student Society. I was on all these boards. I was on all these leadership, perfect grades, went all in. And then my sponsor said, we're going to meet. My sponsor said, because I, I told him what I wanted to do. And he says, man, he says, do you know how hard it is to get in that school? And I said, no. <laughs> and he's like, it's really hard. And my sponsor was financed and worked on Wall Street and said, I hired guys from that school. If you go to that school, you get a nice little star by your name on your resume. 
So he says, let's meet and talk. And we did. And he looked at my writing. He reviewed some of my papers to see if I had the chops. And then he said, I want you to do something for me. And I said, what's that? I want you to go home. And, and when you have the right time with your mom and dad, I want you to ask your dad for, for permission to stay at home and focus on just school so you can get into Carlson. And he says, he'll probably say yes, but I just, it'll just be one of those feel good moments that you'll remember. And I want you to do that. And it'll be good for your parents. I said, okay. So the evening came and my parents were out on the deck in the summer and smoking stogies as my dad did. And I said, dad, I said, I want to go to Carlson. And I said, I know it's a long shot, but in order for me to make that happen, I got to put everything into school and I need a safe place to, to live. And so I can study and focus on, on getting into school or getting into and Carlson. Can I do that here? My dad just looked at me. He said, son, you're an asset to the family. <laughs> you can stay as long as you need. And, uh, and I, and, uh, see, look what just happened. My sponsor yeah. was right. Making <laughs> us cry. And, uh, and that's what I did. I went all in and I, and I put my application package together after two years at the community college. And I sent it out to Hamlin, St. Thomas and Carlson. And I got a call from, got accepted at Hamlin right away. Got a call from St. Thomas. Hey, Matt, uh, we, we got this really nice application package, but we also got this criminal record. Do you think you would mind coming in and meeting with us just to kind of give us an explanation behind it? And I said, sure. What I learned in AA is tell them what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Just that's it. I walked in there, again, practicing these principles in all our affairs. Did that. Went in there and told them my story. And the dean of St. Thomas just looked at me and said, oh, kid, that's a heck of a story. The doors of St. Thomas will always be open for you. Wow. Wow. So, Seriously. I'm telling you, you, you have, God was so story. affirming you over and over again. And when your dad said, son, you're an asset to this family. That when I think about the miraculous change that was from earlier years, when you were, you were an embarrassment to the family, a burden to the family. Sore spot. But your parents, the grace God gave them yeah. to be loving and forgiving and yet exercise tough love, which is a message for all of us who have That's kids or, or nephews or nieces who are out there making all the mistakes. There's a, there's a place for tough love that's going to have a good payoff if you'll stick with it. The other thing that occurs to me, Matt, too, is just I love the fact that when you came to that realization that... Um, you you knew you were at rock bottom and you knew that God was offering you an opportunity and grace. And you were out there on your parents' deck and it's like it was all coming together for you. From that point on, a lot of people are then tempted to just put their feet up on the desk and say, all right, God, I'm all yours now. I've surrendered. You know, go ahead and take the wheel and drive me somewhere. And that to a degree can work for some, but for most of us, you got to, you got to start grinding Take it out. Action. I love the mm -hmm. fact that you didn't keep your feet up on the desk. You said, all right, what do I got to do? What? And, and to this day, you're driven to find out what do I got to do to be responsible and make things happen? When I, when I, I went to Carlson and I went there and said, Hey, what do I got to do to get here? And the, the academic advisor, Annie Lynn, I'm friends with her to this day. She just looked at me and she said, do you know where you are to get me appreciate the gravity yeah, <laughs> of the situation yeah, yeah. of how competitive it is to get in that program? And I just, 
kind of, you ever see the blues brothers with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi yeah. when they're in front yeah. of the nun and they're just like, we're on a mission from God. Right. Like that's how I had the demeanor. I was just like, I don't think you understand. I'm on a mission from God here. Like that's I'm great. And <laughs> he told me what I had to do to get in there. Right. But like, um, I never coasted. I got, I put in there and I held on. I got accepted from all those schools. And, uh, I remember then I got the letter and it said, congratulations. You've been accepted to the Carlson school of management. Wow. And when I told St. Paul college, cause I was still a student there, they said, you're the first person in history to transfer from St. Paul community college to the Carlson school. And to this Amazing. day, the Carlson school has St. Paul college students in it. Every year kids get accepted. How about That's that? so cool. I love and it. And I remember that's again, the whole dire circumstances to just the world opening up. And, and I was just, Go you ahead. just have such tenacity too. Yeah. Um, and, and here's what I'll say. And I know that your parents uh, would fully agree that you've always had it in you because you've mm-hmm. always, you say, I'm, I'm either this or this. Well, you've always had the, this in, in you, but you just decided to finally use it. And so you've always been the smart mat and the intelligent one and, and the one that, that wants to be good and do good. And so I, I just think it's so um, profound and so wonderful how parents do see their children as God sees his children each and every day. I was, I was sitting at dinner with my dad and my dad just says, well, son, no matter what you did, you always did it to an extreme. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. You know, and it was you guys. The the thing also is like I got a the humility here, right? Like it's I'm just responsible for the effort. You know, there's so much. My dad was throughout the the accomplishments that because look, I'm giving you the highlights, right? There were so many other wonderful moments, and it was just like my dad throughout that journey, and wonderfully that I got to live with my parents' house to do all that because they finally got to see me grow up to be the man that I am man that they always knew I could be. And they saw it firsthand and what a wonderful experience it was for both of us. But my dad said, son, where are you learning to do all this stuff? And I said, rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, dad. Like I got to, and they came to get my, when I got my eighth year medallion, they came and saw me get it. And they got to see that. And even my brother, my brother, Chuck, my older brother, we're driving and I'm getting accepted at Carlson and all these things in life is coming back, you know, so rebuilding and things are happening. And my brother's just like, what are you doing that life is working out so good for you? He's like, this is like the movie, the pursuit of happiness with Will Smith. And I was like, Oh, like I got, and then I also turned my brother on to uh mere Christianity, the audio book. And he started getting into that, but I said, that's really what I'm doing. You know? Yeah. Your um, story is a gospel story and yeah. what an opportunity to share the gospel every time you share your story. Well, and that's just it. People are watching, right? Yeah. They're watching all of us. Yeah. And if we are doing it right, it's going to attract people. And when they want to know well, what's the reason for this, and you can tell them, um, well, in a word, it's God <laughs> <laughs> and me cooperating with what God wants to do. I know that sounds almost sort of sarcastically simplistic, but when I look at your life and your dedication to God, and your willingness to do whatever he asks you to do and whatever is put before you, and you do it to excellence, it's no wonder you've progressed to where you are today. Mm-hmm. You were a CEO of a company for a while. Uh, you've got a very successful career. Uh, you, you sort of sort of broke the mold on a whole bunch of things. And, cool. uh, you know, God gets the glory. Cool story. Cool story for that to get in the present. So I was running a CEO of a company, and it sounds, sounds great. It sounds, you know, wonderful, right? But it, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't home for me. It wasn't my place. It was a lot of work, a lot of stress. And 
we had a we had a good brand, we had a good service, but we just weren't we weren't the right mix of people. We weren't the right setup. It was wildly stressful, and the the, the ending to it was 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 wildly stressful. And I remember throughout that journey of trying to get that for four years, trying to get it to uh, to to grow as we entrepreneurs want our companies to do, so we can monetize. Uh, my sponsor, who is another, you think my story is crazy or good? Like there's so many wild stories out there. He was from Arkansas and made parts that went on the NASA, you know, Hubble telescope, right? And he then did eight years in prison for kilos of cocaine. I mean, just wild stories, right? But he just said from the south, he had that southern draw, and he just always say, "Boy, you ain't found home yet. You ain't found home." Mm-hmm. And then I was just like not wanting to hear it because I wanted to make this work. Like I can will it. I can get this to go. And for four years of just not getting it to where I wanted to go, I went back to this company and uh, I worked for him in 2017 and we, we know times of the essence. So I won't tell the story, but what a wonderful story that was the first year. But I, I came back to this company and cause I knew him, I was familiar with them. They knew me. They, the, this is funny now. My, my old sponsor saying, you ain't found home yet, boy. And he passed away from cancer that left a void in my life, my sobriety. His hasn't been filled yet because he was, when I talked to him, it was like God was whispering in his ear, in his ear and it would get translated with a Southern draw into my ear. Mm. And it was, it was just like the narrator of my life. I miss that guy every day, but he would say that I haven't phoned home yet. And then after four years, get out of the company and what, like I said, a stressful experience it was. And I get back here and it's a straight commission job and you're, you self-generate all your business. And it's, so it's a grind. It's a hustle. And I just thought, oh, my God, here I am back to day one, square one, 40 years old. Here I go. Like, and this whole sobriety journey, I've been trying to find my place, hit my stride, find what I'm good at and take off. And I've had glimpses, but then something would happen that it just wasn't the right time for me to take off and excel. And I get here and... uh I remember the, when that first deal, my first project came in and got done, the owner of the company, Dan, he says, welcome home, Matt. Wow. Mm. <laughs> That's cool. He, he didn't know my sponsor. Right, <laughs> right, right. right, right. And I just thought, hmm, coincidences? No, I don't think so. I think not. Oh, and man. now I'm having the best year of my career. I've, <sighs> uh, I'm not even, it's not even that I've won, I won this year. I am already winning next year. I mean, it's <laughs> in the stars aligned and uh, I am in places that I've never, I'm in rare air right now. I'm on yeah. life fire. And uh, that's so cool. Yeah. 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 Well, God is good, Matt. And you are a testimony to that. And so we are so grateful that yeah. you decided to um, come on this podcast with us, uh, this episode with us today, just to share uh, your story, but to give people hope and to share a little bit about your tenacity and when uh, you surrender your own will, how God can take over and do great things. Mm-hmm. And so Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us. And um, I know this show will be a blessing to many. Yeah. And th- so. thanks for mistaking me for yeah. the other child. <laughs> yeah. well, we thanks, for, thanks for having me on, you guys. I appreciate you letting me share my experience. So you're, cool. You're such a blessing. God bless you're you, such man. a shining light. God bless you, man. Yeah. God bless thanks you so guys. Take, Take care. care. See ya. Bye-bye. Oh my goodness. So fun. I mean, we, we really do have amazing guests. And I, again, I say that every time, but it's because we do, and you just can't make this stuff up. He has um, had such a story, all um, all these years of, of of going the opposite way, but with such, you know, determination, like he's always had that in him. And then when he put it 
and the way that God would have them use it, look what happens, right? I think it's a really important reminder again that, you know, God made you because he loves you yeah. and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if it doesn't feel like you're fulfilling that, then it's not God's fault. No, <laughs> It would be something going on with you. And every one of us, Take I'm inventory, convinced, right? throughout lifetimes, we've got to come to a place of surrender and, uh, and responding to the grace that God gives. He gets all the honor. He gets all the glory. And I think God is a lot of fun when we cooperate with him yeah. and fulfill the plans and the purposes that he has for us. Yeah. And then you feel content and you feel and, at peace. And you start to give to others. Yeah. That's encourage so cool. them and bring them along. Yeah. So we uh, hope you enjoyed this episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough. Um, share it with others. And we will catch you same time next place. Uh, same time, <laughs> same place next time on Your Biggest Breakthrough. Take care. So glad you could join us today, and you'll find a new episode every Tuesday on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've been encouraged by listening or viewing, would you just take a moment and give us a five-star rating and a quick review? That'd be so awesome. Yeah, and also please share this with your friends and loved ones. If you have comments or questions, or if you're looking for an advertising opportunity, please get in touch with us at yourbiggestbreakthrough.com. Or if you'd like to optimize your health and wellness, you can work directly with Wendy. Go to wendypet.com. Or if you're a guy and you're interested in mentoring and coaching, go to toddisburner.com. We look forward to having you join us on our next episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough.